Tonight we're going to deal with the second miracle of Jesus. And we can find this, if you'll just go ahead and turn over there. In Matthew chapter 8 is the first reference. Now it's listed three times. You know the gospels are synoptic, which means that, that there, there, is a, there are four gospels and they, they follow the same path of Jesus, but they follow it from a different reference point. It's as if you and I were, were standing on a corner or we were standing in a building at, a, at an accident scene. And one person might have been on the street corner, another person might have been up high in the roof, and, and another person behind it, and somebody in front of it. And then they gave out their, their uh, view of what happened. And that's what we see in the Bible when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the synoptics of the Bible. And it's the different viewpoints where they're coming from. Some's co- someone may be coming from uh, you know, a legal standpoint, and somebody else might be writing from a Jewish standpoint or, 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 you know, some other look, the view that they're looking at. And that's why there's a, there are some differences in the way that the scriptures relate these stories to us. It's not that they're different or there's errors there. It's just different viewpoints. It's where they were looking from. One looking up the mountain, one looking down the mountain. And so there are three listings of this particular miracle that we're going to go into. So you're there at Matthew chapter 8 just to continue synopsing some things and, and to come back and do a little review. And I want to encourage you to get these tapes. Now on Wednesday morning I taught something and the Holy Spirit came on me while I was teaching on Wednesday morning. And I spoke something that I personally have never spoke before. And when, when it was over I said I want to get that tape so I can write that down. Because I heard from heaven in my speaking. You know, God will speak through our voice. How many know that? You know, have you ever had that happen to you where you're just talking and, and, and all of a sudden you realized it wasn't you? I remember one time I was riding in the car with my father and we were talking and talking about where I was going to go, what I was going to do. At the time I was a music director at the church I was in at Family Worship Center in Lakeland and, and we were riding down the road and, and I was kind of frustrated about what God wanted me to do. And uh, we're sitting there, and my dad was, you know, he's kind of a funny guy. He'd always tell jokes, or he was, and then all of a sudden, he looks over me and says, you know what's wrong with you? And I knew at the moment he said, you know what's wrong with you, he wasn't talking the same dad I knew. It was like the voice changed. It, it really didn't, but the, the, there was an emphasis that came through. I knew I better listen to what he's got to say here, because I knew the Holy Spirit was speaking through him, and he spoke a word to me that changed my life. You know, we just need to allow God to elaborate through us sometimes what we need in our lives. I mean, let me say this. Sometimes you're the best counselor for you. If you'll ever step back and imagine how you would counsel somebody else about your situation, you know, you, you go to somebody and they say, you know, I've got this boyfriend. I've got this man that I love so much. And, uh, and, uh, and he was hitting on me the other day. And then you'll say to them, well, well, well what are you going to do about it? Well, I love him so much, you know. And then you say, well, if this was somebody else, what would you say? Well, I'd tell them to get rid of him. Don't ever be with him. You know, if you'll just listen sometimes to your own counsel, you'd be all right. You have a spirit on the inside of you that God wants to use to speak life into you. Somebody say amen. You know you don't have a different Holy Ghost than I have. Step aside from your condition. Step aside and imagine and just, and, and just say, Lord, what advice would I give somebody else? And let the Holy Ghost speak through you to somebody else only it's speaking to you. Isn't that good? You can really do that. Did you know that? That the prophetic voice of God will come through your life? That you can give yourself advice if you'll just simply wait on the Lord? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, what are you? The sons of God. He's going to lead us and guide us in all truth. And He's going to direct our path. He's going to help us. How many know the good news of God is good news? I mean, it may sound real simple, but 
You know, the Bible and the Word of God, the will of God, is literally called to us good news. I've been on this planet long enough to know that sickness is not good news. When you go to the doctor's office or you go into the arenas where you're going to hear news about your body or whatever, many of us are trepidatious. I had to go to the doctor. i got to be honest with you, I already knew I was overweight. I mean, you know, I just didn't want to know how much. And I already, if you go to the doctor, they're going to weigh you. How many know that's right? And then they're going to take your blood pressure. Right? How many have been to the doctor lately? That's what they're going to do. They're going to take you in the back room. They're going to weigh you first. And I already knew I was overweight. I just didn't want to know how much. I didn't want to hear that news. When he said I was 272 pounds, oh, who said oh? (laughs) Brother Jeff. Well, that's basically what I said too. Oh, oh my. It's the highest I've ever been. The most weight. That was not, somebody say good news. I promise you that wasn't good news. But then, and then when they took my blood pressure, and I told you this last week, and it came back 112 over 72, that, however, was good news. You see, when Jesus heals us, it's good news. Now, let me tell you what else is good news. I'm on a diet. I've already lost four or five pounds. Isn't that good news? Amen. This is my 112th and final diet. I'm through after this one. Amen. And I'm going to do it. Amen. I'm going to lose this weight because I want to live, and I want to live healthy. And I want to live and I want to play with my kids. You know, when you're 47 and have a 10-year-old, you got to lose some weight. Amen. I mean, they busy little fellas, them two guys that I got. Amen. And my little girl, she's even busier. Amen. So it's good news. The, the gospel is good news. And for us, that should mean, I mean, it's pretty simple. Sometimes the basics escape us. We're, it's very difficult for us to escape the very basics of the scripture. Good news is good news. You know, when we hear bad news, that's not good news. If it ain't good, now I know this ain't grammatically correct, but I've been saying it for 14 and a half years. I'm going to say it again. If it ain't good, it ain't God. Let's just say that out loud. Say it again. I know I'm forcing you to, those of you that are English majors, we'll hear you say it a little different. But we're going to say it this way. If it ain't God, if it ain't good, it ain't God. I mean, that may be so basic and simple, but, I mean, how many people are frustrated by a simple concept of if we get, if we, if, if it's good news, the gospel's called good news, then it ought to be good when we hear it. And cancer's not good news. Amen. Tumors are not good news. Deafness is not good news. Eyesight problems, that's not good news. Good news that we're going to hear from God is that cancer's gone. Blood pressure's low. Ears are open. Eyes are open. Thank God for good news. Somebody say amen. amen. Lack of answers and the time that it takes and, and perceptions cause us to formulate new doctrines. I, they're not in the Bible, but they cause us to formulate new doctrines. When we get into a place where we're praying for something and we're staggered by it, and we, we presume that we're going to receive something from the Lord, and then we have a lack of answers, Many pastors, many churches, for years and years, I attended them myself. Try to come up with causative relationships. Maybe it's not time for you. Maybe, have you ever heard that? Maybe it's not your time to be healed. But yet in the Bible, the Bible tells us about immediacy. That immediately they were healed. Somebody say amen. Amen. That God does immediate works in our bodies. I'm certain there are progressive healings, but healings should begin in us. We should start beginning to see things healed in our body. And we should, and, 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 and there is, I mean, I mean, many will surmise that, that maybe it's the will of God to be sick. 
And yet the Bible claims that it is never the will of God for you to be sick. We said last week that it would be like saying God caused you to sin. No, we know it's the will of God that no man goes to hell or that no man sins. Jesus came to redeem me from sin. And God wouldn't, put, wouldn't make me sin, so God doesn't make us sick. And so these lack of answers sometimes, I've been in the rooms where I looked for answers and somebody that everybody said would get healed didn't. But that doesn't change the Word of God. How many understand the Word of God is established no matter what we see? We walk by and not by sight. I am clear on this. I am absolutely positive that God wants me blessed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. He said, I'm above and not beneath. I am over and not under. I am above only. He said, I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I'm blessed coming in and I am blessed going out. I'm absolutely convinced that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now that's good news. That's the word of God. We've got to be careful not to adopt this idea and not to fall into the crux of believing that maybe it's not my time. No, it's your time. When you got saved, Jesus had already prescribed everything you were ever going to need. The medication for your illness, Jesus already prescribed. Amen. But how does this happen? What are the distinct characteristics that keep us from receiving it? Well, first of all, we said that you have to know the will of God. If you don't know the will of God for you, if you don't know it's the will of God for you to be blessed, if you don't know it's the will of God for you to, be, uh, to not struggle with sin, if you don't know that the will of God is for you to be totally and entirely healed, then you're going to struggle because the first place we have to do is knowing the answer. We have to know the answer. We have to know when the question comes, the answer has to already be in us. It ought to already be available to us. I've already got to have the answer. I have to know the will of God. The will of God, knowing the will of God, the word of God on any situation is the very bedrock or foundation of your faith. If you don't know the will of God, then you don't have the necessary foundation to, to, to receive what it is God wants you to have. You've got to get in the Word of God. You've got to dig into the Bible, and you've got to come up. You know, I had a professor one time. I remember I went into his classroom, and it was a Bible class, and a few of us had our textbook in there, but none of us had our Bible in a Bible class. Isn't that something? None of us. And so he stopped the lesson. He said, you know, how many of you brought your Bible? And, of course, a few of us wrote, 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 didn't, not, nobody really raised their hand. But he, and then he said, oh, it's only your roadmap to life. It's only your way to eternity. It's, I mean, and then he starts in on this diatribe of what it only is, you know. It's only your way not to sin. It's only the thing you're supposed to hide in your heart. By the time he got done, I felt like I needed to run out of the room, go get my Bible right then. We got to know the Word of God. You have got to become a, a, a someone who takes time to read the Word of God. Now, how much do you have to read? Well, you don't have to read the whole thing. Read portions of it. Put the Word of God in your heart. Begin to listen to it. We live in a day and an age where we have CDs, Christian television, our great church. Amen? Amen. Great pastors and great ministers, great evangelists. We have, uh, 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 you know, the, the Bible on tapes and CDs. We can get it. You can go right now on the Internet and listen to the Bible. There's really no excuse why you're driving down the road not to have something on your phone that you could listen to the Word. Now tell me how faith comes. Faith comes by and hearing by the Word of God. I like that because I like to say it this way. Faith comes by hearing and 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 hearing the Word of God. You can't live on having heard. 
for you when the challenge comes, if you don't have the Word of God in you, you're going to struggle with it, the will of God, because that's, that is the most, there's two, there's two important elements that you have to understand that, that involve us getting healed. One is the will of God. That's Him. God's will is already settled. That belongs to Him. How many know that His part's done? Will always be done, was done, His part, the will of God. That's the Word of God. That's established. How many know it's never going to change? He's the same. So His will and His Word is never going to change. His portion of the, of the, of the product two and two that's going to come out to four, His part of the quotient has already been established. And it will never change. Then there's a second part to us receiving. It's our faith. It's our faith. His part being done, our faith is the key. If, if his is already concluded, then I'm the only variable to whatever it is that I need to receive from God. And if it was based on their faith, I love reading the scriptures because you can find out from the scriptures that the Bible is clear. There are, there are levels that occupy our life in faith. Some had strong faith. Some had weak faith. Some had great faith. Some had no faith. Bible called them faithless. Some had, I mean, think about the different varieties and the different levels of faith. And somebody said, well, how do I know I'm in faith, Pastor Steve? Well, when I go to the gas tank and I put my, I pay for gas and put the, put the gas uh, uh, hose in my tank and pull the trigger, how many know when it gets full, you'll find out? How do you find out when it jumps out of the car and runs down your pant leg? Well, that doesn't happen to everybody. But have you ever had it happen to you where the, when it stops, you know, it was full? And, and now they have the automatic stoppers. But years ago, I, I'm, I'm 47. Some of you are older than me. You remember when they didn't have the automatic stoppers, they would just come right out the tank. Anybody remember that? Now at least it jumps and that pops and something spews out of the tank. Well, for those of us that need to understand if God's portion is done and our portion is faith, then we need to be full, somebody say full, full, full of faith. How often do we need to be full? All the time. We don't need to be full during the summer or full during the winter or full, you know, we need to stay full of faith because the devil, our adversary, goes around by, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't quit. He doesn't stop because you took the summer off. He won't stop because this week you decided to watch more TV. No, he's still on the prowl and still on the attack. And as we pull back at times and we relieve ourselves of our duty to fill ourselves with faith. You know, if you, if you drive your car and allow it to go out of gas, it stops. Somebody say amen. amen. You have a fuel inside of you called faith. That fuel is what ignites you to your healing. It's what ignites you to your prosperity. And if you don't continually fill up your tank, you will run out. And when you do, you'll come to a stop. Somebody shout out amen. amen. Say, that's good preaching, Pastor Steve. So how do I know? How do I know if I'm full? Then I need to stick the nozzle of the Word of God in my ear. And I need to squeeze it until it spews out of my mouth. Somebody shout out amen. amen. Glory to God until it's coming out of my mouth. Hallelujah. And if I'm not like that all the time, then I need to go tank up again. And I need to fill up again. 
so that the word of God is continually in my mouth, which is the word of faith which we speak. That's it. I mean, think about it. I mean, how simple it is. I mean, you know, when you think about the things of God, God made them childlike. So that even very children, as a matter of fact, I've, I've known at times myself personally and my own children that their childlike faith works in a way sometimes mine doesn't because they haven't been filled with doubt. Have you ever had a little child pray for you and just thought, I know if little Johnny prays for me, I'm going to get healed. Have you ever had that? That used to happen all the time. People would call my mom and say, well, you have Steve pray for me because I was full of faith and there was no doubt there. I mean, as you get a little bit older, you go through these things, you formulate, as I said, new doctrines to come up with answers for why you don't have solutions and why the challenge, maybe, maybe you didn't overcome it. But we don't need to do that. We need to stay with God's word, knowing God's word. So it's our faith. What's at fault? It's our end. If we're going to receive from God, it's on our end. Look at somebody and say, it's on you. I'm not a hyper-faith person that would stand up here and tell you you ain't got enough faith. But I am telling you, with enough faith, all things are possible. I, I don't know how to explain that more clearly. I can't get up here and judge your faith level, but I can tell you what a faith level will do. I mean, I think it's wrong if we ever judge anybody's faith, well, they didn't have enough faith. Well, I can't say that. What I can say is, if we do have enough faith, and how much faith does it take? See, we measure it in different terms. We look at it as if it's dump truck fulls. Jesus said all we needed was a grain. The size of a mustard seed. And how do we get it? By hearing and hearing the word of God. Tell me what's impossible if we believe. I'm just saying. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? Faith is a growing process. We continue to grow in faith. And here's one thing I want to say to you. You have to be careful not to allow anything or anybody to infect your faith. You know, when you're, when you're growing in God you want to build faith, you have to eliminate people who don't have it. If you get around faithless people, many people like to stay in the world while they're in the church. They like to have one foot in and one foot out. No, you need to engulf yourself, encapsulate yourself, in the Word of God, and in the things of God, and in the people of God. You need to surround yourself with people of like precious faith. And I tell you, when the need arises, there's nothing worse as a pastor, and maybe it's happened to you, where you walk in a room, and just like Jesus did, Jesus had to throw everybody out in one town. He walked in, he said, everybody out. Why did he do that? Because that amount of faith that, that, that was required for her to be raised up could have been masked and diminished and stopped because of the doubt within the room. you got to get away from doubt. you got to get away from doubting people. And be careful what you hear that it doesn't plant doubt in you. you got to have a doubt-free prayer. Somebody say amen. And, and to do that, you've got to surround yourself with godly people. Be involved in godly things. Young Christians, when you get saved and turn on for God and you accept Christ or you rededicate your life, you've got to engulf yourself in God's house, in God's things. You've got to fill yourself because there's, uh, if you don't, you're going to be empty of faith, void of faith. And it's a growing process. Don't let anything infect your faith. We need a full tank. Full equals immediate. Full equals immediate. A smaller dose of faith will equal Eventual. And there is a difference between eventual and immediate. How many think we ought to have immediate? 
You know, I want to get to the point where I pray for a million dollars and it shows up. Somebody shout out amen. Y'all know I'm right. I'm not the only one believing God for a million dollars. Who else believes in God for a million dollars? If you're not, something's wrong with you. Now, my level of faith right now, it means eventually. I work every week, and eventually I'm going to earn a million dollars. Somebody say amen. I'm believing for the day when my faith is big enough that I can walk on the water. And when I speak, the things come to pass. Somebody say amen. I mean, no, that's possible. All things are possible. Glory to God. See, you can't fight that. Thing. One of you in here can fight that. I know you might be mad at me about my prosperity teaching sometimes. I don't think anybody on this night would be. But there have been people ready to throw stones at me about preaching prosperity. And yet they discount the fact that Bible says all things are possible to him that believes. That means everything. That means there's nothing that is impossible to us. Somebody say amen. So what does that mean in relation to healing? It's on the same basis as salvation. We receive our healing in the same level or in the same way that we receive salvation. We knew, I don't think there's anybody in this room that doubted that Jesus wanted to save you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't think anybody sits here and goes, I wonder if he wants to save me. Or if we did receive salvation, I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say he decided not to. Maybe. No, when we came to him, we believed that we would receive salvation. We believed he wanted to save us, and we received it, and we're saved. Eternal life, the value of it is at the moment I receive it, and I believe. Somebody say amen. amen. Then healing comes the same way. Prosperity comes the same way. Everything we're going to get from God comes the same way. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is no respecter of persons. He doesn't look at one and value them more than another. What God will do for one, he will do for all. Somebody say amen. Amen. And it was the only reason, the only thing that could stop somebody from being saved is they don't believe. Well, that's a mouthful right there. Why are some people saved and some people are not saved? Why? Why do some people receive salvation and some don't? Because they don't believe. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Isn't that a simple message? I mean, it's really just that simple. Why are some healed and some are not? Because they don't believe. (laughs) I know we want to, I I said that, I felt almost like a backlash. Like, wait a minute. How can you say that? It's the same as salvation. Some don't receive salvation because they don't believe. Now, I say to you, we need to focus on believing. We need to focus on how to believe God more. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Let's look at our second miracle of Jesus. Found right here. Let's read it from the Matthew account. Then we'll read the other accounts as well. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Uh, By the way, that's why he denied Jesus three times, because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. That was a joke, and it was a funny one at that. Amen. When Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in the bed with a high fever. 
But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. She got up and prepared a meal for them. Isn't that amazing? Jesus walks into the room. Scholars say that this was a delirium. She was so fevered that she was delirious. Fevered unto death, close to death. This was a real sickness. Peter's called in at this time, when Jesus is called in at this time. Now, the second account of this (coughs) is found in Mark. (coughs) Turn over to Mark chapter 1. This is the second healing that Jesus performed. And it's found in Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at the 29th through the 31st verse. 29 through, I'm sorry, through 34. Or 30, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mark 29, Mark 1, 29 through 34. And Jesus left the synagogue with James and John. They went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in the bed of a high fever. And they told Jesus about her right away. So he went into her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Now let's look at the third account and final account. I like Luke's account of a lot of miracles and things because Luke tends to give us a little bit more elaboration, more detail. He tends to tell us more about what actually happened. Some of them were vague. She was sick. He'll talk about how she was sick. And so I like a a lot of times when I'm looking things up, I look at Luke's account. But Luke's account is found in chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, looking at the 38th verse. Turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a very high fever or a high fever. And there was a cry, please heal her, everyone begged. Standing beside her bed, he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and prepared a meal for them. This was a life-threatening, great intense fever now there's a word that's used in the King James and it's not used in the the version I'm reading as it it, it says this he they besought him the word is besought and the real rendering of this in the Greek in different ways is this pleaded or pleading when Jesus came into this house they begin to plead with him to heal this person. It's a little different. It's not begging as, they, as this particular interpretation says. He wasn't begged to heal the person. And he didn't, did not respond to the begging. Sometimes we think that it's begging that makes the difference. The word here is a legal term. We use this word in courtrooms. And they, they plead their case. They present their case. The word that's used here is that they pled with him or they were pleading for on behalf of this lady. That they were coming in and presenting a case to Jesus for healing. Heal her. They were pleading that case. You know, we ought to plead the case of others. I'll be honest with you. You know, there's something to the authority and healing that I'm going to get into soon about how relationally there's an authority that acts within the church and that God will use to heal us. But in this case, we see that Jesus the healer was there, and they began to plead. And we should have that same thing, pleading for others, where we present the case. We're first told about this when we went to Job last week and talked about Job. We see pleading there, that there was a pleading of the case 
uh, before God and, and how the interaction is there. Thank God today Jesus is our lawyer. He's our advocate. Somebody say amen. amen. And he is on our behalf in heaven pleading our case. And he pleads on the basis of our words. You may not, this is big stuff, and I know I might be over your head, but Jesus pleads on, the, on behalf of us and stands in and says, not guilty based on our words. Not sick based on our words. He goes and he stands in between us and our judgment. He stood in between uh, 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 the justness of God in pleading our case, but he stands there as the one who made us clean and whole and delivered us. There's a pleading going on here. And so it, it, it goes on to say that they pled for her, her life, pled for her. They besought. She wasn't able to seek for herself, according to this scripture. And they pled someone else's case. Pleading's the legal term. What is the case? Presenting your case to the court, to the court of heaven, to the court of earth. Now, Jesus is our advocate and our mediator for us. And in the new covenant, he declares us not guilty and acts on our behalf. He speaks what we speak. He acts in the court of heaven in our stead, standing for us upon our words, his words. That's why he said, bring my words back to me. If I'm going to take my case to heaven, I'm taking my faith. What is faith? The word of God. What do I take to heaven? By Jesus' stripes. Now, I'm going to the court of heaven. Think about what I'm saying here. And I'm going to receive my healing. Faith inside of me, received by hearing the word of God, full, goes before God with the pleading of his word to him so that he can present his word to the Father. On my behalf. Uh, maybe a little over your head, but I wanted to just go there so that you'd understand it. Spiritual authority. It's easier to plead for some than it is for others. I've pastored long enough to know that there are people within the church that they, they're in here every time the door's open. They apply their time, talents, resources, abilities, and finances, and they're actively involved in the church. I know them. They know me. A relationship has been established. Amy and I have had relationships with them. When there's something come against them, there's just an ability to plead for them in a way that it's real hard when I don't know you. People come in, they don't come to church, they show up, and then when they get into tragedy, they want to pray. Now, thank God for mercy. But if, if 90% of what we're going to receive comes by faith and 10% by the gift, you better hope a gift's working. <laughs> I don't know that I, I mean, I mean, that's something we're going to have to find out about in heaven. And there's been many times that the gift has worked in my life, but there's also been many times when it didn't. Somebody say amen. amen. Have you ever, I mean, there's just things that we need to work on. And so healing could be connected. Your healing, listen to this, not only that, but your healing and your deliverance can be connected to the pleading for others. And we find this in that book of Job where Job's going and begins to plead for his friends. When he pled, when he presented a case for someone else, what happened to him? He was healed. Only when, we plead our, only when we plead our case or plead it for others. Healing is sometimes channeled outside of our focus on ourselves. That's a good word. Y'all need to take that. We can accomplish things sometimes in faith 
when we get our focus off us. So much of our focus is on us. We come to church, we're ready for what we're going to get. Did the preacher say what I needed? Were the songs what I needed to hear? What about those who came that aren't you? Were they what they needed to hear? Did the word come and minister to them? When we become unaware of us and we begin to plead for others, we open the door gate of heaven for our own blessings. You know, I don't think God is a selfish God. Do you? I don't think he is. And I don't think he created us to be selfish. It's not all about us. I really believe that the reason my blood pressure is 112 over 72 today is because I've laid, on, laid hands on dozens and dozens of people that had high blood pressure and believe for their healing. I believe that with all my heart. You need to find occasions where you plead the cause for somebody else. Jesus spoke many things, but I want you to see the critical area of this particular miracle. Jesus spoke to the fever. Jesus spoke. Let's look at it again. Look up here. Let's go back to our scriptures. Standing at her bed, he rebuked the fever. Standing at her bed, he rebuked the fever. Many people come to Christ when they want a miracle or healing in their bodies or deliverances, and they begin to talk to the devil. They start doing spiritual warfare. If that was necessary, I think we'd have seen it here. <laughs> have you ever seen that? We get the pressure. Then some people speak to other people. They talk to everybody else. But Jesus here spoke to the fever and rebuked the fever. You know, when we have illnesses and challenges, if you've got pain in your body, you need to speak to the pain. You need to speak to the disease. You need to spend time speaking and saying to the sickness itself, whatever it is. You know, I spoke to my blood pressure for months and months and months and months and months. I've spoke, I spoke to this thing under my arm for months and months. There were several occasions where things in my body and challenges, and I began to speak God's word, pleading the case, pleading my own cause. Somebody say amen. I'm, I'm just drawing parallels here, but, but to speak to the sickness itself. Why are you speaking to other things? He didn't even ask his father. He didn't say, Father God, if you want to heal her. It's not there, is it? When asked to heal, Jesus spoke to the fever. Think of all the things Jesus spoke to. He spoke to many things. Well, I want to suggest to you that there are four things we need to speak to, and I'm going to close tonight because I know it's Sunday night, and I want you to be able to go home and, and uh, go to bed. Amen. Four things that we need to speak to. We need to talk to our body. Look at somebody and say, talk to your body. I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes you need to lift up that roll of fat. <laughs> and speak to the mountain. Somebody say amen. You got to talk to your body. You got to look in the mirror. You got to talk your, to yourself. You're a spirit, you live in a body, and you have a mind, will, and emotions. And I, I, I tell you, no matter what your challenge is, if you're a liar, you need to speak to your lying. If you're a thief, you need to speak to your hands, not to, not to steal. You need to speak to your body. You've got to talk 
to yourself. And you've got to speak God's word. That faith that we talked about, plug the, 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 the faith in your ear and let it come out of your mouth. You've got to speak to your body. You've got to tell your body to come into submission. If you have sexual issues that are challenging you, maybe you're watching pornography at night, you've got to speak to your body. You've got to talk to your body. You've got to tell your body how it lives. You've got to tell it and bring it under subjection to your words. You've got to speak to it. I say these things because people in this room are challenged with all kinds of things. And let me tell you something else. Speak to your computer. And if you've got to speak to it with a sledgehammer. Come on. I'm just being real honest. You've got to speak to your body. What else do we speak to? After speaking to our body, we can speak. I think we ought to speak to the demonic powers as well. I think we ought to talk to the, to the, to the, to the, to the air in terms of things that, 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 that we know are happening beyond our level. We need to tell the devil where he belongs, under our feet. That he's a defeated foe. We need to speak against him. Somebody say amen. What else do we need to speak to? We need to speak to the natural creation around us. How many? I, I remember one time we were about to have a, 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 a party out here on the, on the land. And as this party was about to start, and I knew everybody was looking at me, oh, great man of faith and power, do something. And the rain was about to come, the winds were about to come, and the ceiling was about to drop. Do you remember? Anybody was there, and it turned black. It was, the wind started blowing. It even picked up one of those bounce houses and threw it up in the air and threw it over, the, threw it over a fence. And, and, I mean, it was a bad day. But I sat in that chair. The Lord told me to do the block party or whatever it was, and I planted myself and began to speak to those clouds. And those things just, the, it rained a little bit, blew a little bit, but blew it right on out of here. I truly believe that day we prayed it out. Yeah. Miss Jan has always prayed about hallelujah night. She stands in faith every year on the 31st and says it will not rain. We'll say, well, what if it rains? It's not going to rain. I've stood on the beach in, in, in South Carolina when they said a hurricane was coming. And I spoke to the hurricane and said, you're going to pass us on by. What does it hurt to try? Somebody say Amen. I mean, what does it hurt when the clouds are rolling over your house and somebody said a tornado is coming to walk out in your yard and say, it is not coming nigh my dwelling. Amen. Glory to God. I believe it's happened many times that God has taken the weather. But I want to give you a reason. And this is what I finish with tonight. Finally, just speaking, because I've done that as well, where I walked out and talked to a cloud and it still rained. Has anybody done that? Come on, tell the truth now. You, you, you. Just speaking, just speaking is not going to do it. It's the command of faith that does it. We have to have a command of faith. I was talking about pleading. You know, I plead the blood over my family all the time, daily. Two or three times a day. Do y'all do that? Do y'all ever just, I plead the blood. What does that mean? What does it mean? That we legally draw a line in the sand and we say, this is the line you're not going to cross. Somebody shout out amen. We need to take these things, these things more literal. We need to understand that when we say something, it's not just cliched phrases that we came up with or churchography. No, it's the real deal. You need to be able to stand up in the voice of faith, not just speaking, but a voice of faith, real faith that stands up and says, here's the line. 
I won't let you take my stuff. I won't let you take my kids. I won't let you take my health. I won't let you take my peace. After I told the doctor that I was healed and, and he was, you know, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. He said, you must be living a stress-free life. Interestingly enough, you know, the Bible says cast all your cares on him. And the Bible says be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to the and the very God of peace. We ought to be Christians that live a stress-free life. What are you stressing over? Draw a line in the sand. Plead the blood over it. Plead your cause. Plead the cause of others and say you'll not come any further than this. Every, uh, listen, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of life with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If it ain't good, it ain't God. Plead your case. That don't belong to me. That belongs to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I will not receive it and walk in your peace that passes all understanding. I could actually say it. Yes, sir, I'm stress-free. Well, I've been through a lot of stuff, but I'm not stressed out because my God has over, he's taken, he's taking care of it. All things work together for the good. I know in the end, I know in the end, no matter what the devil throws my way, that no weapon formed. It didn't say I wouldn't have some darts, but it said I had the fiery darts quenched by a shield. Somebody shout out amen. amen. That's where we live. That's what this pleading is all about. It's not just that we go mamby-pamby and wimpy up to God and hope that God's going to do something for us. No, we come on the basis of the law of God. God said it, and this is what he said about it, and I receive it. 